Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 10th, 2017. Got the last podcast of the week here. Eight-game slate, which I think is pretty close to like the perfect size of an NBA slate for Matt and I to break down. First game on the slate is the Atlanta Hawks at the Detroit Pistons. And for Atlanta, Dwayne Dedman is coming off his best game of the year. He scored 42 fantasy points. So it was a season high in fantasy points. It was a season high in minutes. So there's a couple reasons for the minutes being really high. Uh, first was that John Collins got in foul trouble, which meant more minutes for Deadman. And the other thing also is that Collins actually played some minutes at power forward next to Deadman. So the benefit to that is that is going to help both Collins and Deadman going forward because they were both only exclusively playing center minutes. Deadman's still only going to play center, except if Collins is able to play power forward. That means more minutes for Collins. It also means more minutes for Deadman. And then we also have Mike Muscala is out for tomorrow. Uh, Ursana Lisova is still out. So I think that, Col- I think that uh, Collins at 5,100, I think that he's in play. He was really popular on the last slate at similar price and didn't have a good game because of the foul trouble. The foul trouble is always going to be a risk for him just because he's a young player. He's really athletic. He's really aggressive. But I think there's a lot of upside in him at 5,100. Dwayne Dedman at 4200 it's probably a little bit too cheap for him. It's kind of weird that his price didn't go up more after that last game. He went from 4000 to just 4200 I think that he's a fine play. And then uh, Dennis Schroeder at 7300 He has a decent matchup against the Pistons. And then still, he's been really consistent. He scored at least 35 fantasy points now in every game except for one, which was a blowout against the Rockets. So Schroeder, I think, is always going to be a fine play until his price goes up a little bit, as long as he stays around the 7,000 mark. I like Schroeder a lot. From the Pistons side of this game, Andre Drummond at 8,800. He's been really good this year, but I just uh, that just is a really fair price, and I think there's better center options. Reggie Bullock is at 3,600. Let's see. He played, he played 33 minutes starting last game in place of... Uh, Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson's already been rolled out again. Assuming Reggie Bullock starts, I think that he's a viable punt play at 3,600 since he played so many minutes last game. And then uh, Reggie Jackson, 6,200. I think he's in play just because Dennis Schroeder is such a shitty man-on-man defender. Yeah, that's fair. I think overall, the two guys that are really strong plays are the first two guys you mentioned, Deadman and Collins. For GPPs, you definitely don't want to be rostering them together, but... You mentioned before we started that they actually did play some time on the court together. So even though that's the case, they're still definitely going to be negatively impacted by each other because if one of them gets in foul trouble, the other one will get more minutes. So maybe it makes sense to roster them both in cash games because they're too cheap. But both of them kind of of are just risky in the way that they play anyway uh, because they're both relying on rebounds and block shots. They're low usage players that get a lot of points from defensive stats. So Not I think Collins. It, Collins is a high usage player. Is Collins a high usage player just from putbacks, I guess? Uh, well, and just that he shoots when he gets the ball a lot. Fair enough. Well, I guess with Deadman then, he's GPP only. But with Collins too, I guess the foul trouble is always a risk. So I'll say use them independently for tournaments. Uh, the other guys you mentioned, I do think all the prices are kind of fair. Is there any way we can get some idea as to how many minutes Bullock will play going forward? Because 33 minutes is definitely enough for him to be a good punt play, but I guess the Pistons have kind of 
mixed up their rotations this year based on how guys are actually doing. Stanley Johnson has had a couple of games where he just wasn't good and then got benched, and then other games where he plays well and stays in. Do you think it's the same kind of situation for Bullock? Yeah, probably. I mean, Stanley Johnson's injured. They don't they don't really have a lot of wing depth, so I don't see any reason that that Reggie Bullock. I mean, the only thing I could think is if they decide to start somebody else over Reggie Bullock. As, as long as Reggie Bullock starts, I, I think that he's a pretty safe guess to play over thirty minutes. Okay, and yeah, so for me, it's probably just Bullock and the two Hawks guys because Reggie Jackson. I I do think that makes some sense, but we're gonna get to some plays that I think that we both probably like more. So. I won't rule out Reggie Jackson, but there there are a lot of strong plays on the slate. So we have next the Charlotte Hornets at the Boston Celtics. So for the Celtics, obviously Gordon Hayward's been out all year. Al Horford, the concussion, he's out again. Missed almost a month with a concussion last year, and uh, hopefully it's not quite that long, but it could be. It is a downgrade to the Celtics' defense not having him. Matt and I were looking at some of the on off court stats uh, with Horford this year. The Celtics with Horford on the court are by far the best defense in the NBA. And then with them off the court, they're still very good, but not quite as good. It would equate to them being about the sixth best defense in the league uh, by looking at their defensive efficiency without Horford. So still definitely a negative matchup for the Hornets. Uh, So I don't really think there's anybody who I'm really interested in. I think like Kemba Walker and Dwight Howard are kind of like fringe plays at their price, but I don't look at them and think there's any kind of crazy value on them. Like I prefer Dennis Schroeder to Kemba at a similar price and then some other guys who I prefer over him also. From the Celtics side of the game, um, Marcus Smart is at 5,700. I think he's a decent play. He's probably going to have to play some minutes. So Aaron Baines at 4,300. I just think that's kind of a fair price for him. He played really well last game, but he only played 22 minutes. Uh, Daniel Tice also played 22 minutes, so him at 3,000. He's been a pretty good producer this year. He's averaging about 0.9 uh, DraftKings points per minute. So at 3,000, he played 22 minutes last game. Like We really only need like 17 or 18 minutes for him to be expected at a value. So I think there's value in him at a minimum price tag, and I think he's fairly likely to play over 20 minutes. And then also he's playing those minutes, minutes against the bench unit as opposed to the starter. So he gets a little bit easier of a matchup than Baines gets. Uh, So the first thing is that with Al Horford out, you mentioned the change in defensive stats for Boston. That was pretty reflected by the uh, Vegas info last game. So the over-under for the game went up about six points after Al Horford was ruled out. And even though the Celtics still played pretty well defensively, I think that that change in the betting line is a pretty good indicator that the defensive stats that you gave where they're dropping from best to sixth best, that's that's real. Uh, Al Horford is really the only good rim protector the Celtics have. So Boston's been really good against point guards this year. And it, I guess it may look like Kyrie Irving has been good on defense. And maybe he has, but Irving's been bad defensively his whole career. And I would guess that the reason he's played well this year or that it, the Celtics have at least defended point guards well is because of the system that he's on. Al Horford protects the rim well. They're a good defensive team. And without Horford there, it may be a lot easier for point guards to do well. So I do like Kemba Walker. I'm not sure if I like him more than guys like Schroeder and Reggie Jackson. Kind of agree with you on fringe play. Um, And then for the Celtics, Aaron Baines probably will have some pretty crazy ownership after he had a huge game the other night starting in Horford's place against the Lakers. Uh, He was in the mid-30s in ownership, I think, for some tournaments. 
some of them he was only around 20% or so. Uh, but I would think that even on a slightly larger slate, that number goes up just because he played so well. So I'm with you on using Daniel Tice. Also, Baines will be going up directly against White Howard. Tice goes up against the bench, so it's easier for him matchup-wise. Uh, the thing I wanted to ask you, I'm not sure if you mentioned yet, is Jason Tatum is questionable. Do you think that it's more minutes for guys like Baines and Tice if he doesn't play, or is that just more minutes for guards like Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier? Yeah, it's probably... I'm going to look at their depth chart. Uh, so the depth chart... I think, like, Marcus Morris is probably the guy who's going to have to play the most minutes making up for it just because they don't have a ton of other guys there. Like, uh, obviously, Hayward's already out. Horford's already out. So it's just not a lot of big men to fill. I'm trying to bring up their depth chart, and I can't find it. Well, I guess the the the, the first concern is, are Tice and go. Baines ever going to be on the court together, or are they both just splitting no. the center minutes no, no matter what? Okay. Yeah, they're not going to be on the court together. So, uh, guys like uh, Yabuselli could end up playing some more minutes. Um, who else? Oh, Semi Ojale played some. He actually played a few center minutes last game. Uh, it, this is a little relevant because I don't really like him as a DFS play because he's not going to play a lot of minutes. But I, I do think that Ojale has potential to be a solid NBA player, and he's somebody else who I think could pick up some minutes. So, I think really my main point regarding the Tatum injury, is that I don't think him being out is going to open up some kind of crazy amount of value. I think that it's just going to be some more minutes for Marcus Morris, maybe a little bit more value to Marcus Smart, and there's just going to be a lot of bench minutes picked up by guys who I don't really have a lot of interest in rostering anyway. Okay, makes sense. I guess the one guy who maybe becomes interesting is Rogier, who probably is not usable otherwise, but it does seem kind of hard to predict who the bench minutes will go to. Um, so I don't feel great about Rogier. I think, yeah, Smart and Morris and Daniel Tice anyway are probably the guys I'm interested in using from Boston. All right, so the next game we have the Indiana Pacers at the Chicago Bulls. And there's a lot of injuries in this game that we don't know about right now. So from the Pacers' side of the game, right now, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, he's questionable again. He's missed the last couple games. Him being out has meant extra minutes for Thaddeus Young. It's meant extra minutes for Miles Turner. Miles Turner got in foul trouble last game, but it's kept his price depressed. So I think he's a solid play, probably regardless if Sabonis is in or out. But he's definitely a good play for me if Sabonis can't play. And then from oh, and then on the point of Thaddeus Young, his price has gone up a lot. So I think even with Sabonis out, I don't really have a lot of interest in rostering him. From the Chicago side of the game, Lori Markin is questionable. Robin Lopez is questionable. So it's, it's hard to make a real determination on them. Bobby Portis stands to gain the most if yes, both those Bobby guys can't Portis play. Uh, over <laughs> very, I'm just saying, very coincidental, Bobby Portis comes back immediately. All of the players that he uh, he's in competition with for minutes, all of them are hurt. All of them questionable to play. So I'm not exactly sure. Like, are the Bulls going to call somebody else up? Are they just going to run Portis? Like, I think Portis at 6,100. Could be a decent play. I'll probably prefer to not use him in GPPs. It's a little bit of a personal bias just because I don't think Portis is particularly good. He did go nuts in the last game, but I, I just don't really buy that kind of production from him. Portis is not something I'm going to be really high on tomorrow. So uh, if he's definitely out of play for me if Markin and, and Lopez or even one of the two of them play. Then Portis, to me, is just way overpriced at 6100 so I actually think this is a really good stack spot if 
if one of the two guys is out. I guess it doesn't necessarily have to include Bobby Portis, but especially if Robin Lopez doesn't play, I would imagine that that leads to a much more up-tempo game with the Bulls going small ball, maybe using Chris Dunn and Denzel Valentine more. And then if Markinen doesn't play either, it's probably even more small ball. And in that case, you probably do have to use Bobby Portis. I would think he plays some center minutes, right? Um, so there becomes a lot of blowout risk, but at least the Bulls are at home, so maybe that mitigates it a and little. The and the Pacers aren't good. The Pacers aren't good. I can't use the Vegas line yet for any insight as to if there will be a blowout or not because we don't have a line yet with all these questionable guys. But if if there weren't any injuries, I think it's just Miles Turner for me from this game. And if there are injuries, I think a lot of players can become usable. I do agree with you that Thaddeus Young is too expensive either way. But Miles Turner, I like, and then potentially several Bulls guys if there are uh, if there's an uptick in minutes for bench players. Yeah, and then I'll be curious to see uh, maybe do they move Chris Dunn to the starting uh, lineup and just play small. It's, it's hard to say this far out. Uh, next game, the Milwaukee Bucks, the San Antonio Spurs. Eric Bledsoe traveled with the Bucks to San Antonio. He also practiced with them today. So the expectation is that he's going to play. He's only 6000 so if he starts, I think that's just too cheap of a price for Bledsoe, who's been, I think, as high as in the 9000s last year. So just the question is, is he going to start? How many minutes can we expect from him? So that's kind of something I'm going to have to rely on beat reporters for and just kind of see what information comes out. But Eric Bledsoe could be anywhere from one of my favorite plays on the slate to somebody I have no interest in, depending on what the expectations are for his playing time. Giannis at 10500 I think he's a really strong play. That's the cheapest he's been in a while. It's a good spot for him, even though he is playing a good Spurs defense. Let's see, from the Spurs side of the game, LaMarcus Aldridge at 7900 I think that he's a solid play. Aldridge's usage has been enormous this year. And the Milwaukee Bucks have actually had the second-worst defensive efficiency in the league this year behind the Cavs. Uh, so let's see. Uh, yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge, definitely in play for me. He's been... He's averaging over 40 fantasy points per game this year. Really solid, plus matchup. And then Patty Mills at 3,900. Yeah, I still think that he's a good play. Even though the Bucks in previous years have been good against point guards, they just haven't been a good defense overall this season. And Patty Mills is just playing a lot of minutes and is, to me, too good of a player to be priced under 4,000. Yeah, I don't understand how Patty Mills just costs the same every night when he's starting, he's producing, he's hit value, I think, just about every game. And they're just not raising his price. So I'm on Patty Mills until he costs more than 4000 probably even a bit after that. He's playing 24 to 28, somewhere in that range most games. And as a starting point guard, he's playing with good players. There's potential for assists. I guess it's lower usage than when he was coming off the bench, but he's still picking up stats and he just he's just too cheap. Um, yeah, it is weird the Bucks have been bad defensively. I don't know if we can just say that's a small sample size, but what do you think the, the reason is that they've been worse? Is it... Is there something that's changed, or is it really just a small sample size and we can overlook it? Um, well, the biggest difference is they don't have Jabari Parker, but he was the worst <laughs> defender last year. Um, beyond that, they're not playing Del Vadova as many minutes. He's also not a good defender. See what I'm so. saying? There's no reason why. It, all of that should have meant that they're getting better on defense. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's changed about them. Uh they did have, you know what's actually kind of funny is Greg Monroe is not thought of as a good defender, and he hasn't been a good defender for most of his career. But with that said, they've been playing uh, 
uh, Thon more minutes this year. They've been playing Henson more minutes this year. And Monroe does grade out as a better defender than those guys. So I think that has a little bit to do with it, but not where they would go from being an above-average defense to being the second-worst defense in the league. So I think that they're going to be much better going forward. But I'm still fine with I'm still fine with going at them with guys like Aldridge and Patty Mills, who are too cheap anyway. Yeah, I'm not going to call the Bucks a spot to target either, but Mills and Aldridge for their prices makes sense. So even if the Bucks become an average or even better than average defense going forward, it doesn't mean that you can't use those guys against them. Um, do you, how much though do you think Bledsoe hurts the rest of the Bucks players? Like, do do Brogdon and Middleton become sort of unusable with Bledsoe there? Brogdon definitely, because I think Brogdon is going to lose usage and minutes. So I think that Brogdon takes the biggest hit with Bledsoe there, and then I think it's also a hit to Middleton and Giannis, but not nearly as much to Brogdon. The other thing also is that Middleton's price hasn't really changed. But they've moved Giannis down a lot with uh, with Bledsoe coming. Giannis only down at ten thousand five hundred when he was twelve thousand five hundred just a week and a half ago. So I think I think that Giannis still definitely in play at that price. Right, even if it's a slight downgrade to Giannis, he's cheaper. So it, I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on Giannis also, and probably no one else from the Bucks except for Bledsoe if he's in. All right. So the next game is the Clippers at the Thunder. This is going to be a back-to-back game for the Thunder. They're currently playing the Nuggets as we are talking. And there are a lot of injuries on the Clippers' side of the game also. Danilo Gallinari, he's been ruled out. Uh, Patrick Beverly, he's out for, I think, the next two to three games. Austin Rivers is currently questionable. So we're looking at Wesley Johnson had a solid game in the starting lineup last time. He's still only 3,700. I think that he's a pretty safe bet to play somewhere in the mid-30s minutes. He's a solid play. Lou Williams still only 5,200. I think he's somebody else who's going to be playing around 30-plus minutes, maybe even more if uh, if Rivers is is out also. So he's a really strong play. I think Griffin's fine at 8,600. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of value on the Clippers for tomorrow. Well, it depends on the Rivers situation, right? Because there's either a lot of value or there's some obscene amount of value if Rivers doesn't play and there's a lot of very unusual bench guys who get even more minutes than we're already talking about. Yeah, like I don't even, I don't even know how hard I'd go after those bench guys. I think my main targets would still just be uh, Wes Johnson, Lou Williams, and Blake Griffin for them, unless there's like some other really cheap guy who gets moved in the starting lineup. Like it's just hard to speculate what their lineup would be. I also, I'm going to assume that Austin Rivers is going to play because Austin Rivers, as much as it's ridiculous, he plays a lot. Of, he plays a lot because most of the reason he plays so many minutes is because his dad is the coach. Austin Rivers plays through a lot of injuries. He had that ridiculous, like, broken, that dislocated finger. That was very finger. disgusting, that, that finger injury. Yeah, he played through and that. he didn't miss any time. So I kind of just assume that Austin Rivers is going to play because he plays through a lot of injuries. I think that's fair. But if he does end up mixing the game, I think guys like Evans and Thornwell are at least worth considering, even if they're not starting. Maybe one of those guys does end up starting. But those guys will be worth considering at least um, – I would imagine that you'll probably have some some interest in both of those guys if if that's the situation. But we, yeah, I guess we can just assume Rivers plays because he always plays. And I guess there's not much to look at from Oklahoma City. Or do you think the Westbrook increase in usage recently makes him more viable? Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how this Thunder Denver game ends because the Thunder have lost a few games in a row, and Westbrook's usage just started to go up a little bit. 
it's still not as high as it was last year, and it's never going to be. I think his usage rating was like around 40% last year, and he hasn't had a game over 35% this year. But he was below 30% for a while, and now it's creeping into the mid-30s. And I think part of it is just the team isn't playing as well as he had hoped for, and he's kind of just putting it on his shoulders and saying, like, okay, I'm going to take over a little bit. I'm going to defer less to Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. So I think if this game ends with Westbrook taking 20-plus shots again, then I think him at 10,800 is a pretty strong play against the Clippers and a really weakened uh, backcourt. Yeah, I think I still prefer Giannis, but that definitely makes sense. I think considering Westbrook is probably a good move. So the next game, we have the Orlando Magic at the Phoenix Suns. And from the Magic side of the game, uh, Alfred Payton's one of my favorite plays on the slate. He's only 6,900. He was somebody who was priced over 8,000 towards the end of last season. This is a really plus matchup for him against Phoenix. Uh, last game against the Knicks, he played. It was really up in the air what his status was going to be because going into the game, uh, there was just really weird comments by Frank Vogel about how uh, uh, he said, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, he said Alfred Payton is playing as long as he doesn't have any setbacks and warm-ups and he has no minutes restriction, but we're going to be careful with his minutes and we're going to play him as much as he feels comfortable. So going into that, going into roster lock that day, I had no clue if Alfred Payton was going to play or not, and it was really unclear how many minutes he was going to play. He ended up playing, uh, let's see, I'm pretty sure it was over 30 minutes, or at least around 30. So he played 29 minutes, and he played really well against the Knicks. He figures to play over 30 minutes against the Suns tonight. He's a really friendly DFS game, and that's just a really, really plus matchup against the Suns. So I, I really like Alfred Payton. He's one of my favorite plays on the slate. And then from the Sun side of the game, we have Tyson Chandler is questionable to play again with the backer injury that held him out last game. Alex Len started in his place, and Len just really put up a, a stinker in that game. He was one of the chalkiest players on the slate. He was around 35% owned, got into quick foul trouble, and just wasn't able to stay on the floor. That happens. Alex Len is somebody who fouls a lot. He has a high foul rate. It, it's, something, it's a risk you take every time you roster him. But if he starts... I think him at, uh, what was the price? He's 4800 again, right? Yeah, so he's 4700 last game, 4800 this game. I still think it's a really good spot for him. I'm not I'm not scared off him because of the foul trouble. There's a lot of guys who get in foul trouble, especially young big men in the NBA. And him at 40, uh, 4900 now, I think that's a really good high upside play. And I think that he's likely to go from like 35% ownership to being like 5% owned just because he got in foul trouble last game, which is something we knew could happen going into that situation. It just happened, and people are going to react to it and not want to roster him again. Yeah, it's going to be tough because with the game being in Phoenix, we may not know if Tyson Chandler is out until after lock. But if we know that Chandler's out and we can get Alex Len in, I think it's an even stronger play than he was the other night because he'll figure to be much lower owned. A lot of people will be scared off of him. And there's no reason to think it's any different. Len got fewer minutes just because of the foul trouble. He was still in at the end of the game when they gave him the mandatory, I guess you sit out the first six minutes of the fourth quarter when you have five fouls, which by the way, I don't understand, especially with a younger player on a team that's not contending, why there's some mandatory amount of time you need to sit out when you have fouls. You have two fouls in the first quarter, you can't play until there's nine minutes left in the second. You have three fouls, you can't play until halftime. Just all those really arbitrary rules, I just don't understand why they exist. Uh, but anyway, I, do, I don't think Alex Lund will get in foul trouble, again, just because even a very foul-prone player usually doesn't pick up a lot of fouls. So 
there's no reason not to like him. There's always going to be some risk, but I definitely like him, and I especially like him because he's a he's a terp, and I went there, so I have to root for him. Yeah, and the other thing also is Alex Len has put up a lot of really big fantasy total games. He has a pretty uh, just friendly DFS game because he scores, he's a good rebounder, he blocks shots. He's not an efficient scorer. He's not a good real-life NBA player, except he is somebody who produces pretty well for fantasy when he gets the minutes, which is contingent on him being able to stay on the floor. So the next game, Miami at Utah, that's a fate. Uh, no interest in that game. Two low-paced teams. Utah's defense is really good. Miami's defense has also been okay this year, so I'm not going to roster anybody from that game. Hold on, I'll mention, one, I'll mention one player from this game. Justice Winslow was really good last time out. Do you think that was a product of DM Waiters being in foul trouble, or do you think there could be a substantial minutes increase? Because even though Utah is very good defensively, if Winslow is facing mostly the second unit, maybe he gets some weaker defenders and could be a decent play at 3,900? No, I don't think so. Winslow, I mean, he he did, uh, let's see, at 14.6 rebounds, 5 assists. He played a lot of minutes. He is starting now. But it's still, it's a negative matchup, and Winslow's just been so terrible during his time in the NBA. So last year, let's see, what was his, so last year Winslow played 35 minutes a game and scored 25 fantasy points per night. So I understand like 25 points would be a good uh, result at 3,900, but I don't know how, I don't think it's very likely that he plays 35 minutes again, because the reason he played that many minutes was because Waiters got in foul trouble. That was the reason he had actually a couple extra minutes. And that also does mean the ball's in his hand more. And then also, that's a big downgrade in matchup for him also. So, I, I just, Yeah, he was I'm, playing the like Suns last match. time. Now he's playing the Jazz. That's as big of a downgrade as it gets. So, final game on the slate. Brooklyn Nets at the Portland Trailblazers. Really strong uh, game for... Really strong spot for Portland. Just the question is, is this game going to be able to stay close from the net side? Trevor Booker and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson are both questionable. The Trailblazers have also had a pretty good defense this year. And just the way the Nets run their deep bench with so many guys playing a lot of minutes. There was a game last week where other than Tyler Zeller playing like a weird high number of minutes, the Nets played every single player on the roster between like 16 and 22 minutes. The Nets will do that. It's hard to roster them. I think D'Angelo Russell at 7,600. I just think there's better plays in that kind of price range just because his minutes, at the very most, he's playing 30 minutes and more likely he's playing somewhere in the mid to high 20s and just Portland having a solid defense. From the Portland side of the game, Damian Lillard's been way priced up. Uh, CJ McCollum, kind of a fair price. Joseph Nurkic, 6,800. He's another one of those guys. He gets in foul trouble a lot. If he stays out of foul trouble, he tends to have really big games. This is a really strong matchup. He's kind of produced independent of matchups this year. But still, the Nets' defense is so bad. The Nets played such a high pace. I think this could be a really big game for Nurk if this game isn't a blowout and he stays out of foul trouble, which are both kind of big ifs. But if we're looking at GPPs, there's a lot of upside in that price tag. Well, this is the one game that I think the Vegas line is really worth mentioning because the Blazers are only 8.5-point favorites. And we can say that that line is probably too low, but... I think we kind of have to trust Vegas a little bit when they're setting a line where the public is heavily on one side. So with the public on Portland, I wouldn't think that there's any real chance that Vegas dramatically set this line too low. Maybe it, maybe it's just a mistake and it's a little bit too low. 
But for whatever reason, this game should be closer than a huge blowout, just looking at the betting line. And generally speaking, when there's a huge amount of betting on one side, the public is going to be on the other side. Or, sorry, the uh, the sharp money is going to be on the other side. The value is going to be on the other side. Um, and this is a weird one. Maybe the Nets kind of historically have been a better team at covering spreads on the road. Maybe they just play better on the road. I don't know if that's the reason. Maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe the the refing for this game is set up to really favor the road team. The, it could be any number of things, but the fact is the line is 8.5. So unless it changes where the Blazers are minus 13 or something which I would say is almost impossible unless the Nets have a ton of their players just not playing. Um, I think we have to sort of trust that that 8.5 number means the game will stay reasonably close. I will say, though, that if Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is ruled out and if Trevor Booker's ruled out, the line probably will be around 10. But even at 10, it doesn't mean a blowout is that likely. So I'm not overly concerned about the Blazers winning by too much. And I definitely like Nurkic. I think that's a really strong spot. There's the foul trouble concern, but everything else works in his favor. So that's my favorite player by far from this game. All right. So that's going to finish the podcast this week. Hopefully everybody has a good weekend. Uh, If you're looking for the football podcast, we put that up yesterday night. You can follow me on Twitter at GRMBerGFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back on Monday.